What's up, guys? Happy Thursday. Welcome to CRTV's Relatable. It's me. Uh, I hope that you guys are having an excellent week. Um, I would love to take a poll right now to see how many of my followers are basic. I would venture to say a lot, meaning how many of you went out in 100 degree heat and bought yourself a pumpkin spice latte from Starbucks this week? I think yesterday, two days ago, first day, uh, no judgment. It's totally a judgment-free zone, especially for basic people. Um, I, like I said, I kind of anticipate that I have a lot of basic followers because I myself am kind of basic. I've heard from some people, including my husband. I'm not completely basic. Not like, not completely, but I'm not on the other side either. I guess that would be like acidic. I'm not. Um, but I, I kind of want to analyze this for a second because I do think that, I, I want you guys to tell me. I want you guys to tell me whether you think that I'm on the basic side or not. So here are the things that I think are kind of basic about me. One, I do like Starbucks, which I know basically makes me a communist in conservative circles, but I do drink Starbucks and not that much though. When I do, it's black coffee, which I feel like is not that basic. Sometimes when I'm feeling kind of extra, like I'll get a, a chai tea latte with almond milk and no water, which I know is super, super basic, but not all the time. It's only sometimes. Number two, I do like Taylor Swift, which is exceedingly basic, but, but I'm not as obsessed with Taylor Swift as some people are. And in fact, I don't even think that she has a good singing voice. However, however, really basic is that her Fearless album was my first album that I ever had when I got my driver's license. Uh, so it basically kind of consumed all of my sophomore year of high school and it's extremely nostalgic to me. Number three, uh, I like Target, which I also understand makes me a communist among conservatives. Uh, I know that the conservatives were supposed to boycott both of these things a long time ago and I just haven't jumped on that bandwagon yet. Um, I've almost completely weaned off Starbucks, so maybe that'll gain me some uh, conservative points, and I think it deducts a few basic points too. Uh, but my addiction to Target to Target has not ceased since ever, especially since the Chip and JoJo line debuted, which I guess also makes me very basic. But I do not watch Fixer Upper, so again, not completely basic. Okay, the next thing I don't remember what number one. The next thing is that Anthropology is one of my favorite places to shop. Pretty basic. Maybe consider not though. You never know. Also, I wear Ugg slippers. I'm wearing Ugg slippers right now. I wear them every single day of my life, every season of my life, but not publicly. And I don't wear Ugg boots. Also, Friends is one of my favorite TV shows. Very basic. The Notebook is still one of my favorite all-time movies. Basic. Kardashians. I hate them, but I love them. And I know basically everything they do. Basic. This tree that I have behind me, if you're watching, very basic. I cycle, basic, used to be a pure bar instructor, basic. I was in a sorority, basic. I know word for word at least three Cardi B songs, extremely basic. And you know what is also extremely basic that I have fallen into, uh, that basic girls just love? We love some true crime. Like, I don't know what it is, but every basic girl that I know, including myself, loves some true crime podcasts and stuff on Netflix. So I... I am, I guess, in those ways, extremely basic, but I would venture to say if I were making this case against my husband, which I have many times who claims that I am basic, I would say that I'm not because I don't care about the royal family. I don't have designer anything. I don't even know anything about clothing designers. I really don't. I don't care about football. I feel like it's very basic to, for girls to care about football. Uh, two favorite movies, Braveheart and Boondock Saints. I would say that's not very basic. Um, I'm not organized. I don't 
ever make things look cute. Uh, that's not basic. I hate kale. Not basic. I have bad, really bad handwriting. Not basic. Third Eye Blind, one of my favorite bands ever. I've seen them live. That's not basic. Uh, there are other things uh, that are basic that I'm not, I'm sure. So this was all very, very important for us to analyze. I just wanted to put this out there. I want to get your thoughts. Are you basic? Am I basic? I need to know this. So you can message me on Instagram, as all of you do, or you can email me at Allie at the conservative millennial blog.com and give me your thoughts. Okay, now that our uh, highest order of business is out of the way, let's move on to much less important things than whether or not we're basic. There's really no way to transition from that. Uh, we're going to talk about the midterms, and I will probably talk less about numbers and, probabil and probabilities, one other thing that I'm not very good at, and uh, more about what Republicans can do to fight against the Democrats' wily ways. Their ways are very wily, and we have to be pretty uh, strategic in fighting back against it. So first, I will address a few of my predictions just on a very uh, fundamental level. I think Democrats will take the House and Republicans will keep the Senate. Uh, that's based on a lot of different polling data. Now, anything could happen. Obviously, we're still a couple months away. Less than that now. Yeah. Um, but I think, no, we're still a couple months away. Uh, I think it's really unlikely that Republicans keep the House. Uh, even though this is troubling, we shouldn't be all that surprised. This is typically what happens when one party is in the White House. Uh, the other party takes Congress. Uh, you've probably been hearing Democrats in the news talk about what they're calling this uh, blue wave. They claim that this is going to be the consequence of the so-called resistance that has been building since Donald Trump was elected. Uh, the resistance is made up of people on the left, mostly on the left. There are some never Trumpers on the right who probably consider themselves part of the resistance uh, who would rather see Donald Trump fail than America succeed. Uh, they are the crazy people dressing up in handmaid's tail garb and saying that Brett Kavanaugh is going to take away women's rights once he's on the Supreme Court. Uh, they are the people comparing Trump to Hitler. They are the people saying that Donald Trump and all of his supporters are racist, Islamophobes, transphobes, homophobes, all the phobes, xenophobes, misogynists, bigots, fascists, and that anyone who isn't actively and loudly opposing him in everything he does, wait for it, their favorite word, they are complicit. That is the resistance. That is who they are. Uh, that is what Democrats are saying will fuel this blue wave, which they predict will dominate the midterms come November. Uh, they are going to flip all the red seats blue, and they are finally going to be able to legislatively undermine Donald Trump's evil, evil fascist agenda. While I'm not sure that the blue wave is actually going to be the tidal wave that they say it's going to be, it might be more of a ripple. I do think that they'll win the House, like I said, which poses serious problems for Trump and Republicans. Like, we should probably just own that. Uh, Democrats are expecting this to be similar to 1994 when Republicans won Congress in a landslide while Bill Clinton was president, uh, which was the first time that Republicans had taken over the legislative branch in 40 years at that point. Uh, that was resistance. That was a referendum on Bill Clinton and all of his policies. Uh, it was called the Republican Revolution. But number one, I don't think the Democrats are going to win nearly as big as Republicans did then. The numbers just 
are not showing that at this point. And two, even if they do, I don't think that that's going to stop Trump from becoming president. Actually, I probably I think that it'll probably uh, get people more excited to vote for Donald Trump for president. Um, even the Republican revolution in 94 didn't stop Clinton from becoming president, like I said, in 96. But it did help lead to his impeachment in 98. And that is precisely what the Democrats are looking to do. Um, the Democrats think that if they take the House, they will be able to launch and bolster all kinds of investigations into uh, Trump's tax returns, Russia, everything Trump's ever done that they think is sketchy or delegitimizing. Um, Axios is reporting that House Republicans are anticipating this. Uh, so they're already coming up with a plan to defend themselves against the attacks of a Democratic majority uh, led by a keystone of the resistance, Nancy Pelosi, who will no doubt become Speaker of the House again. Uh, so as if our tax money hasn't been uh, being spent uh, irresponsibly enough on an investigation into Russian collusion for two years that has come up with nothing to prove any collusion ever existed. Now we are going to be paying our Congress people to launch a series of investigations that have much less legal significance, probably than they do political significance. Uh, Democrats are not just looking to November in all of this. They are looking to 2020. Uh, they see 2018 as a stepping stone to 2020. If they can create a team in the House who will stop at nothing to discredit Trump for the next few years, then the Democratic candidate will have a far greater chance of winning the presidency. But uh, as I said before, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, if they couldn't do it in, in, in 94 uh, enough to defeat Bill Clinton in 96, I'm just not sure that this so-called blue wave is going to either, especially since at this point, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be that powerful. Uh, however, like I said, uh, it definitely has the power to cut away at Trump's legitimacy, especially if legal wrongdoing is is uh, is found via their investigations. Uh, so there are three things that I think in the midst of all of this chaos that is so likely to ensue over the next couple of years, uh, there are three things that Trump and Republicans need to do to combat these attacks. And I actually think they're already doing some of these things really well. Uh, they're alliterations. Are you ready? One, emphasize the economy. Number two, harp on leftist hypocrisy. And number three, call out their crazy. Um, so again, emphasize the economy, harp on leftist hypocrisy, and call out their crazy. Uh, number one, they need to emphasize the economy because it's doing really well. Uh, the unemployment rate is at 4%, which is the lowest it's been in decades. Corporate profits are up. Consumer confidence is high. Longest bull market in history. Uh, Trump needs to continue to take credit for all of these things, even though some of them have been going in this direction for a long time. He needs to take credit for them. He needs to brag about the tax cuts, about fair trade, despite those of us who don't like tariffs, he needs to say that what he is doing is working and that he is putting America first and the proof is in the pudding. He needs to say, I promised that I would make America great. And here you go, America. Here is a booming economy for you and your family. You are welcome. Love President Trump. And he needs to say, Democrats, Democrats want to take this away from you. Democrats want to tax you into oblivion. They want to, uh, they want you to pay trillions of dollars over the next 10 years for single-payer health care. They want your hard-earned tax money to support illegal immigrants. Uh, Democrats don't want you to be rich. Uh, they want you to depend on the government. They want you to distribute your success to other people, whereas I, Donald Trump, want you to make money, to keep your money, and to spend it how you see fit. That's what he needs to say. 
he needs to present himself as Father Christmas, benevolently gifting us with the riches of a good economy and the Democrats as the Grinch who stole Christmas, who want to steal everyone's Christmas joy, aka money, uh, to increase dependence on the government, to increase their own power. In that way, Trump can actually make himself out to be the good guy, even in the midst of all of this Russia scandal right now, or not really even Russia scandal, just corruption scandal. He can make himself out to be generous, uh, the generous moral one, which would be quite the flip of the script because Democrats are always accusing us of being the greedy ones. Uh, nope, Trump's economy is doing well. Uh, the Democrats want to ruin our success because they selfishly would rather uh, this country fail than see the country succeed under Donald Trump. Trump. That should be the play for Republicans in emphasizing the economy. They should be asking, why are Democrats resisting unemployment and economic success? Um, then they need to harp on leftist hypocrisy the way so many conservatives, I think, do really well. Uh, whether you like it or not, Trump's war against the media works. It is working. Uh, he discredits outlets like CNN, New York Times so much that his supporters won't listen to a single thing that they say. And the thing is, it's not just Trump supporters who see this media bias. It's all conservatives and probably some liberals, too, if they're honest. Uh, Trump is simply exacerbating what a lot of us already know about many mainstream media outlets, that they purposely report news about Trump and Republicans in a clickbait, dishonest fashion in order to shape negative opinions about them. Uh, they rely on the laziness of their readers to form the public view, to drive their own anti-conservative, anti-Trump narrative, and to ultimately send Trump spiraling into his demise. You don't even have to like Trump to realize this. And the media do themselves no favors whatsoever. Uh, you guys probably heard or maybe not about the whole Lanny Davis CNN scandal. Uh, Lanny Davis is the attorney of Donald Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, a.k.a. The Fixer. Uh, so CNN released a story at the end of July in which an anonymous source claimed that Michael Cohen claimed that Donald Trump knew about the infamous 2016 Trump Tower meeting in which Donald Trump Jr. met with a Russian lawyer. Uh, the anonymous source claimed that Cohen was in the room when Trump learned about the meeting. Uh, this would be a big deal because Trump has denied knowing anything about the meeting. Um, in that same article, CNN specifically said that Lanny Davis, Cohen's attorney, refused to comment when asked. Uh, but last week, Davis told BuzzFeed that he was an anonymous source on the story and that he couldn't confirm that the story was even actually true, that Cohen was in the room when Trump learned of the Trump Tower meeting. Uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee, before whom Cohen had already testified that he hadn't heard anything about the Trump Tower meeting and so couldn't have been in the same room when he says President Trump heard about it, uh, re-engaged with Cohen's legal team to make sure, asking him, OK, let's get this straight. You told us you didn't know anything about the Trump Tower meeting. Now we're reading in CNN that you did and that you know Trump did, do you want to revise your testimony? And Cohen's team said, no, we're sticking to our original statement that Cohen did not know about the meeting. Uh, but even after all of this, even after Lanny Davis said he couldn't actually confirm what he anonymously told CNN, even after CNN said they didn't talk to Davis at all, CNN is still standing by their story. Uh, they're saying that there uh, were multiple sources for the story in addition to Davis. They're confident in their reporting uh, that this whole thing is overblown. 
okay, it's one thing to be confident in your reporting, but one, wouldn't you take out the part in the piece that quotes this source who just said he couldn't actually confirm what he had told you and is now actually standing by his client who testified the opposite of what he told you? And wouldn't you apologize for lying for specifically saying that Davis wasn't a source, even if a source is anonymous? You wouldn't blatantly lie. Uh, there are a lot of good people at CNN. I know some of them personally. Uh, there are many fair, wonderful, objective journalists there. Uh, but this whole scandal and their refusal to back down, even after having been proven at the very least that they are sketchy with their sourcing, plays into people's distrust of the media. Uh, it confirms all of our fears that the media is pushing a narrative regardless of the truth, uh, that their agenda has nothing to do with reality, but their foregone conclusions. Um, which is that Trump is a crook and that he shouldn't be running the country. And you look at that kind of animus coming from outlets that claim to be unbiased. And I think a lot of people go, okay, if they're being this unfair about him, if they're lying this much, then maybe I really can't trust anything they say. And if I can't trust anything they say, why would I believe them when they report anything negative about Donald Trump? So when Donald Trump says that the media is the enemy of the people, this is what he means, I think. Not that all journalists are the enemy of the people, but that false reporting is. Uh, blatantly biased media who leverage the assumed stupidity of their readers to push a narrative down their throats. And I would agree that there is enmity between media and Americans. And much of that enmity is earned by a press with a flagrant disregard for truth. Um, and Republicans need to keep pointing that out, keep pointing out the disparate coverage, uh, keep pointing out the misleading headlines. A couple weeks ago, uh, all of these news outlets uh, uh, coordinated to release the same headline on the same day. Journalists are not the enemy. Well, I can tell you that this did not make their case very well, banding together like this. How about instead of saying you're not the enemy, you just stop acting like an enemy? Tell the truth or... If you're not going to tell the truth, that's fine. Just own up to your own bias, like like I do, like a lot of commentators do. I'm a conservative Christian podcaster, and while I will always do my best to kind of look at both sides of the story, uh, I never want to purposely mislead anyone. I'm really open about my perspective on things, who I support, why I support them, what I believe. I don't pretend to be objective, even though I always try to be fair. But so many in the media have this kind of self-righteous attitude that everything they say and believe is gospel truth and that any bias they have is because they're good people and they just think like all good people do. Uh, that is the attitude of condescension that Trump supporters and other and other people are feeling from journalists. Uh they think that they are better than us, that they are smarter than us, that they can manipulate us, and that they can get away with telling one side of the story. People don't like to be patronized. And that is part of why Trump won. Uh, conservatives and anyone to the right of Bernie Sanders started to feel like we don't matter. That's what we felt like under the Obama administration, that our patriotism was uh, problematic, that our concerns were just going to go unnoticed, that everything that we really believed in, our core values, God, family, country, uh, capitalism, were all being tossed aside and demeaned as morally wrong. And the media played a huge part in driving that sentiment. So for Trump to go after the media, for conservatives to go after the media, when indeed the media 
are being biased, it's a winning strategy. Uh, they have to be willing to be aggressive in taking control of the narrative when we need to. Uh, because for too long, we have been bullied by the left who change words, who manipulate language and control the conversation to depict anyone who does not think the way they do as bad. We have to push back against that. Uh, which leads to the third thing that Republicans and Trump need to do, and that is call out their crazy. Uh, now, let me be fair for just a second. Uh, yes, it is very easy to call out leftist craziness because it is so prevalent, because many of them quite literally are out of their gosh dang minds. But also, also, we have a president who does not always come across as very stable himself, and his Twitter rampages uh, that sometimes don't make any sense kind of make it a little more difficult to build our case of leftist insanity when the leader of our party says and does some questionable things. Uh, but thankfully, that said, the left is always ready and willing to out crazy virtually any crazy person on the right. Uh, there was a closed door meeting with evangelicals this week in which Trump told them that there will be violence if the GOP loses the House. Uh, he said they will overturn everything that we've done and they'll do it quickly and violently and violently. I guess he said that twice. There's violence. When you look at Antifa and you look at some of these groups, they are violent people. The level of hatred, the level of anger is unbelievable. Uh, he also went on to say that Democrats will be pushing back on everything evangelicals and conservatives stand for. Uh, a lot of people are saying that this is a stupid exaggeration. I think it's actually all absolutely true. Um, the left is increasingly violent. And unlike conservatives who call out neo-Nazis in Charlottesville and elsewhere as horrific people who have no place in our movement, uh, liberals embrace Antifa. Uh, CNN's Chris Cuomo had a whole monologue a couple weeks ago saying how Antifa is uh, morally superior to neo-Nazis because they are actually against the hate. So they might be fighting violently, but at least they're fighting violently against the right things. Um, so Antifa aka anti-fascists. Uh, they are a far left group who wear, they wear masks, they cause chaos, they inflict violence against people and groups and ideas that they don't like, which, oh yeah, is kind of a key aspect of fascism itself. Uh, they're just as bad and as bigoted and as harmful as neo-Nazi white supremacists. And they are probably even more dangerous because many mainstream Democrats refuse to condemn them as fringe. Uh, they refuse to try to marginalize them the way that we marginalize white supremacists and say that, no, they're actually not conservatives at all. And yet we are the ones, we conservatives are the ones who are accused of racism and bigotry and insensitivity and radicalism. We are called religious zealots for having mainstream beliefs about marriage and uh, about uh, basic values and decency. Uh, yet when these people on the left literally treat their politics as their religion and they are openly holding people back, repressing people who do not agree with them. Uh, we see it on college campuses via a giant tech company, social media, the bias in the media that we just talked about. Uh, the left shuts down conversation when someone says something that they do not agree with. And not just that, they actually seek to ruin your life. They want you fired. They want you silenced forever. But we are the fascists. Uh, a Brown University professor recently released a study about gender dysphoria, aka transgenderism, uh, that suggested that transgenderism in kids can be created in part by social media and their social environment. So it's not entirely biological. 
Uh, the woman who conducted the study said that the study needs more research, but that it does contradict the increasingly popular idea on the left uh, that we should be affirming kids' desire to transition to another gender at such a young age. Uh, Brown University ended up pulling the study off of its site after complaints uh, because they were afraid the study would offend the community or discredit the experience of transgender kids. So Instead of having a reasoned conversation about the findings or uh, debating the methodology, they invalidated a carefully conducted study because it might be offensive to some people. Uh, this is how, increasingly, it seems, the left views facts as secondary to feelings. And to the detriment, I think, of actual people because apparently, apparently, according to them, the more loving thing to do is to allow your child at 12 years old to start hormone therapy to become the gender that they think they want to be and to start affirming their gender dysphoria from an even younger age. Um, when I was little, I refused to wear dresses. I only ever wanted to wear jeans and a white t-shirt. I hated girly things, or at least I, I thought that I did for a period of time. Uh, did that mean that I was supposed to be a boy? Should my parents have said, you know, Allie, or Al, whatever we're going to call you now, let's encourage this a little bit. Let's suggest that maybe, maybe you're supposed to be a boy and start asking you some questions about what you feel your gender is. No. And you know what? The stage of my life where I only wanted to wear jeans and a t-shirt, I think it was when I was like, I think six, or maybe it was even younger than that, like four, it, it lasted for like a year. Uh, boys go through stages of playing with dolls. Are we supposed to set them on a path to cut off their genitalia in 10 years? No, I don't think that's the loving, logical thing to do. I think that's child abuse. That's what that is. It, it denies basic science and sociology, which is shown for literally millennia, literally millennia, that there are traditional gender characteristics that correspond with sex, that there are female internal qualities that correspond with female anatomy and the same for men. But prestigious universities like Brown thinks think that that is uh, that's mean. So by all means, uh, let us reverse thousands of years of uh, accepted knowledge to cater to the delusions of a few people. Uh, and look, I have talked about before uh, that I think that we should have compassion for people who struggle with gender dysphoria. I think it's a real struggle for most people that deal with it and that there is an internal aspect to it that is not caused probably by their environment, social media or whatever. Uh, but it is a disorder. And the loving thing to do is to not to uh, affirm disorders or to cater to them, but to speak the truth in love and uh, be as kind and as empathetic as we possibly can without compromising reality. Uh, but that is what the left cannot do. They always unconditionally equate love with completely accepting someone's lifestyle choices, no matter how harmful they might be. And I find it extremely sad, especially when it comes to kids. Um, and speaking of child abuse and the left, uh, the New York Times is now defending the Pope, apparently, who, as you may have heard, is saying that he is a little too busy to be focusing on the sex abuse stuff when there are things like uh, the environment and uh, migrants to worry about. Okay, uh, the New York Times tweeted this the other day. An ideologically motivated opposition has weaponized the church's sex abuse crisis to threaten not only Francis's agenda, but his entire papacy. Uh, the article that it is that it was tweeting is titled Vatican Power Struggle Bursts into Open as Conservatives Pounce. <laughs> the article says that Pope Francis has tried to be tolerant and more inclusive and traditionalists are mad. Really? 
So it's the traditionalists we want to condemn here. Uh, the Pope is literally being accused of covering up child sexual abuse. But you, the New York Times, are going to defend him because you like his liberal agenda? Okay. I guess nothing says uh, tolerance and inclusion like pushing aside raped kids to own the conservatives. Um, all right. And yet, and yet, we on the right are seen as immoral. We are the immoral ones, they say. Um, Ron DeSantis just won the Republican primary for Florida governor, and he will be going against Democrat Andrew Gillum. I think that's his name. Uh, his Democratic opponent who is running on a socialist agenda. He's backed by Bernie Sanders. Uh, really likable seeming guy. And DeSantis actually gave him credit for that uh, in this Fox News clip. Well, look, I mean, this is a Florida elections are always competitive. And, um, you know, this is a guy who, although he's much too, too liberal for Florida, I think he's got huge problems with how he's governed Tallahassee. Uh, you know, he is an articulate spokesman for those far left views. And he's a charismatic candidate. And, you know, I watched those Democrat debates. None of that was, was my cup of tea. But, I mean, he performed better than the other people there. So, so we've got to work hard to make sure that we continue Florida going in a good direction. Let's build off the success we've had on Governor Scott. The last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases and bankrupting the state. That is not going to work. That's not going to be good for Florida. Uh, but you know what people are saying about that? People are not saying, wow, that was nice of DeSantis uh, to give him some credit and say that he had a worthy opponent. They are saying that that was racist, uh, what DeSantis said. Uh, if you heard, he said, um, we don't want to monkey this up. We don't want to monkey this process up or monkey our state up by electing a socialist candidate. Uh, people are saying that that was uh, purposely racist. I actually debated this on HLN yesterday, and I could not believe what my fellow guest, Michael Star Hopkins, whom I actually really like, I could not believe what he was saying. He was saying that this uh, was meant to be a derogatory racist comment. Like, are you kidding? Do you actually think that someone running for governor would have the audacity to go on national television and refer to his black opponent as a monkey? Of course not. Of course not. I don't know what he's like as a person, but I can bet he's not that stupid. Um, I actually think that it's racist to suggest that. I think it's racist to make that suggestion because that's where your mind is going. I guarantee that DeSantis didn't even think of it that way in the slightest. And of course, his camp has come out and said, you know, that's that wasn't our intention at all. It's just like throwing a monkey wrench in the situation. Uh, but this is what the left does. They ignore their own complete and utter depravity and point out little unintentional things on the other side and accuse us of being debased. Uh, conservatives shouldn't allow that to happen. We shouldn't apologize when we're wrongly accused or bullied. Uh, we shouldn't back down when we're right. And we should call them out when they're crazy. Um, so if we want any chance at winning this thing, whether it's the Senate or whether it's the White House in 2020, that's what we have to do. We have to emphasize the economy, harp on their hypocrisy, and call it their crazy. Uh, none of these things, by the way, require uh, wholesale support of Trump. I have been very critical of Trump, as you guys know, and I will continue to criticize him when he's wrong. But that doesn't mean that I want the Democrats to win, and I certainly don't want Trump to fail. I want him to succeed because I want this country to succeed. Um, it's going to be a really ugly fight until November for Congress, for Kavanaugh. And it's just going to get worse uh, in 2020. So that's really exciting. Okay, that is that. And now the last thing, a listener question. Uh, 
So this was from an Instagram follower who messaged me and said, my best friend is super into the self-love, being intentional, being present sort of things at the moment. She is not a believer, but as a believer myself, it's hard not to do the occasional biblical eye roll. How can I respectfully disagree with her from a Christian perspective without her giving me an unbiblical uh, eye roll? I appreciate the parenthetical biblical and unbiblical thing there. Uh, So I think it's difficult because your friend is not a Christian. And so she is obviously trying to grapple with some sense of goodness and morality without having an actual, uh, you know, unchanging moral compass that we have, uh, which is uh, the Bible. Um, So I think that whenever it comes to any kind of wrong or misguided or sinful belief from a non-Christian, what we need to pull them out of primarily is not that wrong belief, but unbelief in Christ. And so it's actually Christ that renews our mind and changes our way of thinking. So I don't think that your primary concern should necessarily be to stop her from going down this road of self-love or going down this road of intentionality and things like that. That is just her uh, attempt to try to find some kind of meaning and significance apart from Christ, which we know as Christians, I really can't be found. So how I would approach that is, wow, all of these things that you're seeking after, they sound really good, but at the end of the day, they're not going to fulfill you. Let me tell you, let me tell you about the person who will fulfill you. Let me tell you uh, the message of uh, the message that will actually satisfy the the longings that you have that you're trying to fulfill with these kind of worldly dogmas. That's all this is. This whole self love thing, this whole self esteem movement that uh, we're seeing, this whole intentionality self care thing. It's all a secular attempt to find confidence and satisfaction and identity and worth and value uh, apart from religion, apart from Christ. And we know as it has for thousands and thousands of years, it comes up short. So I would just kind of redirect her, uh, kind of say, oh, you, you want confidence? Well, why don't you look in this direction? Oh, you want fulfillment? Why don't you look in this direction? Why don't you look to the person who loves you unconditionally and who cares for you unconditionally? Something that you can't do on your own. This is something I brought up in uh, the Tuesday podcast is that the reason why self-love doesn't work ultimately is because there are some days when we really don't love ourselves and we can't love ourselves. So what do we do when we fail at loving ourselves? When we look in the mirror and we don't see anything good. If you can't look to the person who created you, who tells you who you are in his word, then how are you going to be able to find any self-worth? Um, so I think it's just a reminder that all of our attempts to find satisfaction always come up short apart from Christ. Um, so great question and good for you for wanting to reach out to her and obviously praying for her. I have seen prayer personally in my life, in my friend's life, unbelievers, believers alike have incredible, incredible power to change minds, change hearts, change circumstances, change people's lives. So don't take that for granted. Uh, okay. Love you guys. I hope that you have a great weekend and I'll see you next week. (laughs) 